Hello, I'm John Cole and welcome to the Scottish Football Monitor and to TWM33. Over the last decade, upheavals in Scottish football have been confined to the liquidation of Rangers and the struggles of the successor club on and off the field. However, last season changed all that as Celtic fell from a prodigious height whilst attempting to reach the summit of 10 in a row. A fall that had been predicted by fans of the club for a couple of years as hubris set in around the boardroom table at Celtic Park. After a close season where the search for a new manager had reached a new and embarrassing low, a belated appointment of a new manager and the arrival of a new chief executive finally came about. A pleasantly surprised fan base quickly approved of the new manager's style on and off the park and hoped that a resurgence was on its way. However, just as things appear to be improving, the new chief executive, Dominic Mackay, thought to be a close ally of the new manager, was dramatically disappeared, and the club secretary, Michael Nicholson, temporarily appointed in his place. The first reaction from the fans to all that is not positive, and in fact the Celtic Trust, which is an independent fan organisation, has already written to the board with some serious concerns over the corporate governance at the club, which they see as disadvantaging small shareholders to the benefit of the major shareholder at the club, Dermot Desmond. Is it possible that Celtic's progression will be hampered by the apparent discord in the boardroom? Will more heads roll following Mackay's departure? Was last season too traumatic to allow Celtic to recover as quickly as their fans hope? I spoke to David Lowe, the former chair of the Celtic Trust, to get his views on what's going on at Celtic and his reaction to the board's response to that letter of concern from the Trust. Right, David, thanks for joining us again. Uh, firstly, I just wanted to ask you about your, your role as Celtic Trust Chair, from which you recently stood down. Is the fact that you stood down in any way an indication that your aims and that of the Trust have diverged? Uh, I, I wouldn't say so at all, no. It's, what is it, it's three months now uh, since I resigned uh, as Chairman of the Trust, although I do remain a member of the Trust. Uh, but for the voice of doubt, no, uh, it doesn't uh, signify any divergence on my part from uh, what the Trust's been engaged in to date. It's more to do with uh, my workload, uh, which is COVID-related and, and a lot more heavier than it was. When I became the Trust chairman, uh, well, she's two years ago, it might be now, uh, it, it was certainly pre-COVID, and my main uh, focus at the time was to try and address the alarming amount of untraced shares on the Celtic share register, which had accumulated over the last 25 years. Because when a shareholder becomes disconnected from his shares for whatever reason, be it as serious as death or flitting or whatever, it basically means those shares can't vote. And it basically means that uh, if the number of uh, shares that can't vote is large, it means those that can vote, uh, you know, have a greater percentage say or a greater percentage vote. So if you're Dermot Desmond with 40% say, that's 40% of 100%, but if 20% are lost or missing and can't vote, your 40% becomes 50%. So I, I get involved in this and, and work, to have to say, or the trust worked with Celtic uh, to try and uh, arrest this, stop this, and consequently, you know, we put together a pretty comprehensive question and answer 
our frequently asked question uh, pages in the website, which seems to have helped, but it's still a huge problem. There's still an alarming amount of uh, untraced shareholders, uh, and Celtic should be doing more, taking a more proactive role in addressing this. And it's a cause for some concern that they haven't, and it should really have been up to the trust to do this. But that's why I get involved that, and of course the unclaimed dividends, because if you don't cash a dividend check, uh, a substantial amount of money starts to roll up, and Celtic had sort of commandeered that money, so the trust stopped that. But all that happened pre-COVID, and then COVID kicked in, and then we lost the league, and suddenly the amount of work associated with being the chairman of the trust just, you know, it was just too much for the my day-to-day business, so uh, I sort of stepped aside three months ago, but still a member, still supportive of the trust and everything it's trying to do on behalf of shareholders and supporters. Well, you'll also know that the, the, the trust had written to the Celtic board about some uh, some issues, criticisms of the board that I assumed that you yourself and certainly the Celtic Trust had shared in criticisms which were broadly in terms of the board's approach to corporate governance. Uh, if I can ask you about the issues separately, you could you know, m- maybe explain what the issues are, um, what your position is, and and uh, and then maybe discuss what the, what the club's response, because I know that the Celtic Trust uh, uh, published a response that they got from the club over the last couple of days. And I think that some of this stuff is, is, is maybe a wee bit more relevant now because of the recent, if we could call it, boardroom upheaval with uh, the new chief executive, Dominic Mackay, leaving for whatever reason over the past couple of days after just, I think it was 90 days or something like that in, in position. Is, is that a fair enough way to proceed with this, do you think? Uh, yeah, I suppose so. Look, look, there's two ways of looking at Celtic. You can look at it as a fan, and if you're, you know, which I am, and everybody that uh, is, is interested in, in this matter, well, they'll, they'll all be fans. And, you know, when things are going swimmingly and Celtic are winning things and winning cups and winning quadruple trebles, no, nobody's really that interested in what you would call corporate governance, the affairs of the PLC who the directors are, whether they're good guys or bad guys. You know, nobody's that interested, including myself, I have to say, uh, if we're winning all before us. Uh, It's only when things go wrong, uh, i.e. the results uh, don't come through, as has happened at Celtic in in the last 12 months, or, you know, there's a solvency survival issue that ordinary fans, you know, become interested in corporate affairs. So, you know, that, that's what's happened at Celtic. You know, the good times ended uh, and some of Celtic's uh, management shortcomings were exposed for all to see. Uh, and, and that's why people have uh, sort of taken a, uh, supporters have started taking a closer interest in who's managing Celtic. Because, you know, let's be clear here, the buck stops at the top. When things go well, you know, the board can take can and do take credit for that. But when things go badly, they've got to take responsibility for that as well. And, you know, what's disappointing about this current board is they do what the previous boards that I helped replace, the Whites and the Kellys do. They deliberately conflate criticism of the board with criticism of the club, you know, which is sort of, uh, on the one hand, it's funny. And the other hand, it is serious. So, you know, we have come apart at the seams, quite frankly. Uh, 
in the last 18 months and the buck does stop at the, the top and uh, the, the val- valid criticism of the board uh, is, is, is there to be seen. So what is it you want to ask about? I had an order in mind, but I was just thinking I might change the order a wee bit because it, it might seem um, that it would run with the flow a wee bit better. I mean, one of the first things was the fact that, that, that I think you consider that the, the so-called nine-year rule uh, for non-executive directors has been breached at Celtic. Can, can you explain exactly what that means, what your position is, and then we can maybe discuss what the club have said? Let's not use the pejorative terms like breached. At the end end of the day, Celtic are listed on the AIM market of the stock exchange, the alternative investment market of the stock exchange. And indeed, they might be the only club left that's quoted on on a British stock market. And because they're on that stock market, uh, there's an added layer fiduciary or regulatory responsibilities associated with running the club because the club is the PLC. There is no, you know, we've heard all this before with the, uh, the club downriver. Uh, there is no uh, distinction between the two. Uh, the Celtic PLC is the member of the Scottish Football Association and the SPFL and as well as having to abide by the rules of both of those organisations they have to abide by the rules of uh, the London Stock Exchange. And since 2018, uh, clubs that are listed on AIM or companies that are listed on AIM you know, have to uh, adopt uh, a governance code. And like 90% of the companies in AIM Celtic adopted uh, uh, the QCA, Corporate Governance Guidelines. QCA stands for Quoted Company Alliance. So these are guidelines, or to quote to Captain Barbarossa, or the captain of the Black Pearl and Pirates of the Caribbean, and you know, these are guidelines. They're not actually rules. <laughs> so there, there is a difference. Which is basically so what the club are saying at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there, there there are, but there's some fundamental ones, and uh, and a fundamental one, for example, is you know the QCA corporate governance. Uh, guidelines say that if a company has a dominant shareholder, uh, it's, a, it's recommended that uh, a relationship agreement between the company and the dominant shareholder be in place to protect the, the interests of the other shareholders. And that's not to say for one moment that uh, the dominant shareholder is doing anything bad. It's just a sensible... Uh, can, can, can I just interrupt you there? Because you, you've preempted me a bit. Because that was that, that was going to be the last question that I was going to ask you about about the lack of a formal arrangement uh, to be put in place with a dominant shareholder. But uh, sorry to interrupt, but just carry on then. Well, you, you know, so Celtic do have a dominant shareholder, and what I was saying before you sort of chipped in there was, you know, in, in saying that a relationship agreement should be in place, uh, it's not to say that the. Criticism is directed at the dominant shareholder. It's just a, a sensible thing to do. That's why it's a QCA guideline. Uh, it's a sensible thing to do so that uh, the, everything's transparent, uh, the relationship is transparent. And in Celtic's case, we do have a dominant shareholder in Dermot Desmond. And indeed, you know, he's very possibly a controlling shareholder 
in Celtic PLC when you take into account the vast number of untraced shares that uh, we talked about a few few minutes ago. So it's eminently sensible, but uh, it's deemed not necessary at Celtic. Now, I think uh, that the non-executive directors, you know, should be insisting on, you know, the, having a relationship agreement. I and other shareholders, I would, I would say, not, not, not just me, I just think it's a sensible, transparent thing to do. You know, there's no agenda associated with it. But no, you know, the, the non-executive directors, four of which, you know, have been there for over nine years, uh, whilst uh, the former chief executive was there. And again, the QC corporate governance guidelines uh, say that, you know, that's not entirely healthy and that they recommend that, uh, that that doesn't take place. But no, Celtic think that's okay. So basically, you've got a chairman, an ineffectual chairman for, for my money, and three other non-executive directors all in place at the same time as the chief executive was there. And it all looks very cosy. And it all looks very meaty, and it's not a good look. And uh, you know, there's very many people would call it a crony board, and I think it's one of the reasons why Celtic has no professional investors uh, on its share register other than Linzel Train, uh, who are there for reasons unknown. Uh, can, can I just come back to you on, on, on this because, because the, the club's response uh, to that particular criticism about non-executive di- directors being there seemingly forever is that the, the, they, they say that the, the code that you speak about uh, provides uh, the, the fact that a director has served for more than nine years does not automatically affect independence and that the board should make a decision regarding such a director's independence and ensure that it's discussed with key investors and so on and so forth. And they further say that the, the board have assessed that and they think that, uh, that they're satisfied that the non-executive directors have acted independently. That, that, that seems kind of a, a wee bit like deciding on your own, your own governance yourself, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, well, it, it does. I mean, they would say that, wouldn't they? Yeah, <laughs> you know, this is a this is a, a non-executive directors uh, that couldn't even be bothered to have a, to have a, 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 a committee uh, a meeting of the nominations committee in the financial year to June. You know they have terms of reference. They have a constitution, uh, albeit an old one from two thousand and five. You know it says there should be at least one meeting. A year, so they didn't even have a meeting to discover to discuss, you know, what the composition of the board should look like. Then you had a sort of facile excuse about uh, COVID, you know, as if nobody ever heard of Zoom, you know. And listen, as I said, you know, Captain Barbarossa and the Black Pearl, you know, these are guidelines, not rules. So they're not breaking any rules. It's just not a good look. And it does give the impression of being a crony board. So, you know, that's an opinion. Uh, you know, others will have a different opinion. But I, I think there's a lot of people, professional investors, look at Celtic as an investment proposition and say, no, I don't think so. I think we'll let this one pass. But what I said at the outset was, you know, do you, you know at the end of the day, of the you know, most of us are in this for just to see Celtic win games and win trophies. So if we're winning games and winning trophies, then you know the focus on this is a lot less. And uh, but you know if you're looking at it from a an investment perspective, these these matters are pertinent. 
Well, the the, the lack of uh, a, a constitutionally provided for nominations committee meeting was was the other question I was going to ask you about. Uh, the, the the club have said there that they that they have regular meetings, informal meetings, in addition to the formal committee meetings. As you say, they have said. But they said in the report and accounts with respect that they d it did not meet. The 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 nominations committee did not meet. Yes. In the year to June two thousand and what was it two thousand and twenty. So it didn't meet. So that's just yada yada yada. Well, they seem to have changed their. Well, they seem to have changed that narrative because they're saying now that that, that they've had um, informal meetings. But but the question I was going to ask was: Is it unusual for uh, for over a period of nine years, assuming that they did have a, a, a nominations committee meeting every year, is it not in your opinion that the nominations committee wouldn't actually bring forward any nominations in that time? I'd say that's a very abnormal. Yeah. So let's be clear here. Go back to the QCA corporate governance guidelines. They're guidelines, not rules. Yeah. So nobody has broken any rule. Let's be clear about that. But I think it's very unusual for a company on AIM to have four non-executive directors all in situ for uh, over nine years, whilst they had a chief executive in situ for the same nine years. That's, uh, that's uh, unusual. And the excuses given, okay, if it's only one, you know, a non-executive director, fair enough. But to have four uh, is, is exceedingly unusual. Uh, and then the, does anybody seriously believe that Dermot Desmond is a non-executive director? The key word being non-executive. Or because we keep reading a bit, you know, when something goes wrong, you know, Dermot's stepped in. You know, Dermot's taken over this one. Does anybody seriously believe he's a non-executive director? Does everybody not believe he's the dominant, if not controlling, shareholder? You know, it's, you know, let's be, uh, you know. Yeah, listen, everybody that listens to this can have their own views. These are these are just, yeah. you know, my views. And I keep saying nobody's broken any rules. These are corporate governance guidelines. So, fair, fair enough. But you know. there are also correctional levers uh, which are in place to guard against all of these things that, that, that you seem to think are, are a wee bit abnormal, uh, to, to put it euphemistically. Uh, the, the nomad. Well, what about the nomad? Well, uh, is, the no is the nomad's role, uh, you know, because he's the guy who safeguards the, the, the reputation of the, the stock market, isn't he? With with, with the um, with, with the company, club, whatever you want to call it. Um, so w wouldn't the nomad be in a situation where he would say, listen, this is uh, th th this is just really not on. It's, um, it's a breach of our guidelines. And yeah, we know that it's not a regulation, but it's, th it's not a good look. Just exactly the same sort of things you're saying. And perhaps try and twist some arms to get more new blood on the board, for instance, or, or have that formal arrangement with Dermot Desmond put in place and to make sure that they hold their constitutionally required meetings. Uh, yeah, uh, the 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 nomad, uh, you know, has has responsibility for the conduct of 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 uh, the client in this instance, say Celtic, and uh, as I said, these are guidelines, not not rules, uh, and I'm sure Celtic's nomad has a view on this. Uh, perhaps shareholders should write to the nomad and get their view on this because we don't know what their view is. 
we know what Celtic say it is, but that's not always the same as what it is. So perhaps shareholders should write to the Nomad if they have concerns on these issues. All of these are, are, are technical matters, not things that I particularly understand very well, not understanding the uh, the mechanisms of business. But what is the, the effect on what happens on the park as a, as a consequence of all of this? Well, just not, it's just easy, the easy answer to that is very, very little, but I mean, I, any supporter can take a view on this. Does it matter? Uh, does any of this matter at all? in terms of uh, Celtic winning and losing games and winning and losing leagues and winning and lo- losing uh, trophies, is it a completely uh, irrelevant? Uh, is all of this irre- irrelevant or, or relevant to what happens on the park? If you think it's irrelevant, you know, you know uh, so what? You know, we support Celtic and, you know, as long as nobody's breaking the law, uh, do we really care about the value of the shares and the corporate, the QCA corporate governance guidelines. I'd confess, you know, when we're winning everything in front of us, I'm not that bothered. You know, I've got Celtic shares, but you know, I I didn't. I know we're not going to go bust like our neighbours downriver. You know, so I'm not that bothered as to what's going on. It's only when things go wrong that I think there people care about these things more. Uh, and things have gone spectacularly wrong, you know, since 2016. We have been on a downtrend since 2016. Now, I, I, I personally am not into the blame culture. I'm more into the responsibility culture. It's very easy to, uh, to, uh, and this takes you back to your question you just asked. It, the first, it's very easy to blame the manager, you know, when things go wrong. And, and a lot of, to, to a serious extent, it is the manager's, uh, primary responsibility for when, when things go right and things go wrong. They get the accolades and they, they, they get the criticism. But the players have to take their share of the blame and also the directors, the people that dictate from the top, have to take their share of the blame. So criticism of the board for what has happened since the departure of Brendan Rogers is entirely appropriate. And I think, uh, you know, things have been going wrong at Celtic from 2016. And it's very easy to say, oh, as I believe Celtic directors have said, yeah, we're all happy right up till October uh, last year. Not true. Things have been going, lots of uh, things have been going wrong since then. The way that Neil was appointed, you know, was not a good look. The way that Rogers left was not a, a good look. Some of the signings, etc., have been really, really bad, and I think criticism of the board is due. Uh, and I think that it is old and it is stale, uh, and it does need freshened up. And uh, we thought that was happening, of course, till 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 when, when did Dominic Mackay leave? Yesterday was it? It was announced or Friday? Sorry. Uh, yeah. So, well, I was going to come on and ask you about that, but one thing I was going to say: some of the excuses that were given for the poor performance, falling off a cliff type performances compared to the few years before it, um, where the, there was a lot of discontent in the dressing room. There were players who wanted away. There were some players who were in loan, who were in big, big money, and that was fomenting discontent in the in, in the dressing room. So therefore, you didn't have a, a dressing room that was very together. 
isn't that the responsibility of the manager in, in, in this case Neil Lennon and also the executives at the club people like Peter Lowell and Michael Nicholson who's now in more exalted position that they, they surely that's their job to manage that kind of those kind of personal issues well that, that's true as well but to use a cliche it's a team effort you know, uh, everybody's supposed to be working, you know, to the same objective to put the best team on the park to uh, to win all the games and to win the trophies. And it's a team effort, you know, which includes the board, which includes the management, which includes the players. And all all of them perform badly. I mean, that's the truth of the matter. The buck, you know, stops at the top. Uh, you know, half the team wanted away. And, and didn't play. These are professional players that are played a lot of money. They didn't turn up. Uh, you know, Edward, Edward, uh, you know, has been poor for a long time. Uh, and, and, you know, gets his new gig and scores two goals when he comes on as a substitute. Funny old world. But listen, uh, it's a team effort and everybody's responsible, you know, to an extent for what's happened. Uh, the players, you know, should, should a professional and should have played to the best of their ability. The manager, uh, well, yeah, you know, things didn't go well for the manager. The manager's paid a lot of money and the manager lost his job because of the lack of performance. Nobody on the board's lost their job. Well, uh, Dominic Mackay's lost his. Well, he wasn't responsible for last season. No. Uh, so, you know, when things go well, everybody at Celtic can take the credit. When things go badly, those that took the credit, you know, have to... Uh, take criticism and see and saying all of that you know running a football club under a microscope is not an easy thing to do because everybody knows better and everybody would do it a different way and everybody's got an opinion so it's not the easiest job in the world but that's why the people that make the big decisions in football clubs get paid a lot of money you know to make these decisions so again i don't think there's anything completely you know very complicated than anything that I'm saying it's just But there is a, an, an irony in, in the fact that, that nobody at board level lost their job because of the disaster of last season and yet the recently outgoing chief executive has lost his job when everything seemed to be back on the up again well, I, say, I say he lost his job incidentally because it certainly appears as though Celtic are spinning in the press that he was pushed. There's a couple of Celtic placemen in the press and, and social media who appear to have been, if you like, towing the board line there that he, he wasn't really good enough for the job. He wasn't phoning Peter Lawwell to ask him for advice and things like that. He decided to plough his own furrow and he, he got too deep in. That, that, that's the kind of narrative that, that we're being expected to believe just now. And it may well be true, I, I, I don't know. But certainly the on-field situation at Celtic has improved immeasurably. Well, certainly the, the, the football is more exciting. Uh, uh, but, you know, the game against Rangers had Tommy Burns' uh, uh, aspects for me. You know, the better team over the 90 minutes, but you lose uh, in, in the key games uh, against against uh, the, the principal opposition. Um, look, it's too early to tell whether... Uh, that, that whether we've, we've turned a corner and we're, we're, we're back in business or, or, or not, the signs are good that we're still out of the Champions League and we've still, uh, you know, lost the first game against our principal uh, opposition. The the Dominic Mackay thing again, the buck stops with the board. You know, if the board, 
the, the official announcement said that he's leaving for personal reasons. That's just the phrase you use when when it's not worked out. Clearly, there's been a briefing that he wasn't up to the job. I mean, is that that's what you basically said there? Well, see if he well, it took a lot. If he's not up to the job, who appointed him? Yeah. Well, you know, that's, so, so that's another. You know want. that. So that means the board get that wrong. Yeah. Uh, so there's another thing they get wrong. You know, but they're all they're all sitting sitting there. Uh, no, nobody's taking responsibility. So uh, they took they got a new chief exec and it didn't work out. You know, who, who's responsible for that? The board's responsible for that. I I, I actually think that you know this might this whole horrible situation that we all find ourselves in might take longer to uh, to unwind than everybody would like. I remember when Fergus left in 1999, we had a, a new chief executive called Alan McDonald, and he wasn't there very long, uh, but I think he found out he wasn't really the chief executive. You know, other people were were making decision, key decisions. We then get another guy... Uh, what was his name? Ian McLeod. Ditto. You know, like a, an experienced chief executive. I think he found out he wasn't really the chief executive either. Uh, and he left. And then, just as we have now, we got an interim chief executive pending finding a new guy. Uh, and Eric Riley took on this role as the, he was the finance director at the time. And he took on this added responsibility as the interim chief executive or whatever title they gave him. I, I, and I think uh, you know similar dynamics at play here. You know, we had a, a chief executive come in who perhaps found out he wasn't really the chief executive. You know, other decisions were getting made uh, elsewhere. So what have they done? They've turned to somebody else within the building and given him the the uh, title of uh, I don't know interim chief executive because he's there uh, pending finding some somebody else. Uh, so they've brought this guy onto the board, Michael Nicholson, but, you know, he doesn't have to be on the board, but they've brought him onto the board for whatever reason. You know, the, the Rangers chief executive's not on the board, so they don't have to do that, particularly as he's described as the interim chief executive, but they've done it and we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's a shock, you know, when it, we we're never going to win everything forever. Uh, but when you finally, uh, did lose that league, you know, it's horrible, and I think it's a pretty it was a pretty seismic event, and I think it might take a while to uh, unwind itself before we can really get rocking and rolling again. But in, in saying that, that's just a personal opinion, you know. And I might be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Well, you've got an insight into it having been inside the building, and uh, you know, before in, in a senior role uh, when, when Fergus McCann was there. So the dynamic hasn't changed since then in, in, in terms of how you square the fan ambitions with the economic reality of, of the football club. Uh, yeah. Well, what, what you know, we're still the, the sort of. The, you know, that's, well, we haven't had the financial figures, you know, for uh, the year ending June 21. Uh, but we entered COVID, you know, in a very strong financial position. Uh, you know, we're not living in the edge like uh, the, the opposition downriver. So, uh, you know, solvency is not the, the problem that it, that it, uh, ongoing solvency shouldn't be the problem that it may be elsewhere. So, 
uh, you know, where are we going with this, John? You, t- you tell me. At the end of the day, I, I think losing the nine, losing the ten rather, was a, is a, a real seismic event, and the effects of it might take longer to wind its way through the system than 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 I and others on all or all would wish. That's that's what I'm saying. I think that's exactly what where, where I was, because I think that, that despite the fact that things seem to a wee corner on the park uh, despite the fact that the, the, the Celtic fans are happy with the manager or they, they appear to be happy with the manager they're happy with the way that the football's been played that in actual fact the, the, the events of last year have, have inflicted much deeper wounds uh, than, than, than most people thought Yeah, yeah and I think so and I, I think we need a, a complete change here and, and Peter's still on, on, on the books so to speak I mean that uh, those answers that the trust published uh, this weekend, you know, I, I think the last one confirmed that uh, you know Peter Lawwell still on the board of uh, the subsidiary, the Celtic Football and Athletic Company Limited. He's still metaphorically in the building. You know, there's a few rumours that he's still involved in key decisions. That might have been an issue. I, 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 I think you need a, a complete. And he's on, you know, he's our ongoing rep on the European Club Association. So there's. A positive aspect to that, but I, I, I think it cleans, you know, a new board, new chairman, and certainly now a new chief executive, some new non-execs. I think, you know, that's what's going to square the circle here. Uh, in, in my opinion, uh, others will have other opinions, but that's mine. I think neither the seismic event of losing the 10, you know, really needs a, a rebooting of, that's a good word, a rebooting of the, the whole Celtic, uh, uh, engine. I know that you've been, well, not reluctant, but you've been reticent about uh, speculating over the, the reasons for Dominic Mackay's departure. But one question that I have is that, and of course, we don't know what the, what the personal relationships at Celtic Park are at the moment either uh, between board members and, and the football department. But is it a worry that perhaps the manager could feel maybe a wee bit isolated if Dominic Mackay was an ally? Oh, listen, I, I have no idea about these things. Uh, both of them are, are new kids in the Celtic block. I don't know, did they form some sort of really special relationship? Is, well, is the manager, is the manager pissed off? I have no idea. All, all the manager wants is players. Every manager I've ever known is always three players short of a perfect squad. I mean, our, even watching the game yesterday, you know, I'm thinking how lightweight we are up front. Until of course a Yeti scored two goals, but uh, you know the bench yesterday didn't have a striker on it, and I know there's injuries, etc. But you know I still think the the this is me the fan speaking, you know it's just an opinion. I still think the squad's light. I still think we need more players. Everybody I speak to or was in the box yesterday thinks the same. Uh, you know that costs money. Uh, we've not had any financial figures from Celtic for a while now. Uh, we don't know what the money situation is like. You know, there's some sort of there's everybody's got a view in this, uh, but I, I would have no idea as to whether the manager cares about Dominic Mackay's departure or not, and where where the access you know lies and all of this. These are things that we never know, and you really don't have to know. Um, but I still think we need more players. Uh, pretty sure about that. And as long as the you know the manager gets more players, you know I'm sure. Ralph, Results will improve, but you know the, the underlying question here that you asked is like, does what happens off the park uh, in boardrooms 
affect performance on the park? In my experience, uh, it does. Because we used to hear in the 1990s, you know, that it didn't matter uh, what happened, all this stuff with Celts for change and changing boards and all, all that stuff. What happened on the parks unaffected? Well, I, I, I don't believe that to be true. And again, I've spoken to you know managers of football clubs who would sort of confirm that. So they want to try and keep a happy ship at Celtic and all the, the carping in the morning under control. Um, and I'd like to start talking more about football and less about corporate governance. But you've asked me about it, and that's why we're talking about it. And uh, I think we could do better uh, in that respect. Just another uh, thing, there's been Twitter rumours going, going around today that uh, Ian Bankier is going to be standing down very soon, whether he's going to be pushed or whether he's decided he's had enough himself. I, I don't know. Any insight on that? And, you know, does that sound like like maybe the board reacting in some ways to the, the very criticisms we've been talking about? Well, I think the criticisms are valid. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, can accord uh, genuity in Celtic's Nomad will have an opinion on this. I think, you know, we do need a better chairman. And I think uh, the odds in getting such will uh, are, are pretty good. But it won't be presented in such a way that criticism is responsible for it. It will be presented in such a way as, well, we were always doing this anyway. That's <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> the, the way it works. It's uh, 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 most most com- com- companies stroke clubs. So, yeah, and I think as part of this rebooting, that's the phrase I used earlier. Yeah, a new chairman. Uh, you know, Michael Nicholson's uh, an interim CEO, a new CEO, uh, a couple of new NEDs, uh, and uh, a rights issue, bringing in more capital, more young, enthusiastic proactive shareholders and then uh, then we'll be uh we'll be rocking <laughs> the manager the manager will have more money yeah and that, uh, that is a very good point of course but you know because the what the one thing the board don't need are, are, are fans and fans groups on their back in a situation where it's clear they would benefit from a rights issue well celtic uh, un, un, unlike our friends down river you know we haven't been to the well uh since 2005 uh, and there is a whole new, younger generation of Celtic fans, you know, that want to own part of their club. And with a whole lot of technology available that wasn't available in the 90s and the noughties, it's very easy and very cheap uh, to issue uh, new shares uh, to supporters. Uh you know, Rangers, uh, as twice I've mentioned them now, uh, uh, you know, did one uh, fairly recently in a cost-effective basis, which wasn't particularly successful. But that's because they've been to the well so many times in the last 10 years. Uh, we haven't. Uh, so I, I think uh, Celtic could raise, you know, quite a lot of money from this new young generation using tech. Uh, and that's another thing, the excuse Celtic that used not, not to offer fans some value for the commitment that they made during the COVID, it, you know, was a bit, a bit off, shall we say. So anyway, that's, that's opinion. I think new chairman, new chief executive, another, other changes to the non-executives, a share issue, lots of money in the bank for our manager, 
new players in January, and uh, that's soon then for the, uh, for, you know, for the for the whole board upheaval. That's my that's my that's my that's my personal yeah. wish wish list. It's not not much to ask for, is it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a wish list, not a prediction. <laughs> no, no, I, I think I'm pretty sure there will be changes. Yeah, but they'll be presented in a way that it was. Yeah, it'll be presented in a way that uh, it'll be a different spin on it. Yeah, there'll definitely be a new chief executive if they're calling. Michael Nicholson, an interim chief executive. But the timescale I'm, ta- I'm talking about, uh, to, sorry to ask you again, the, the timescale, do you think it would be within months or uh, maybe sometime next year? No, I, I think it'll be in the current financial year. A lot of these things will happen. Uh, so that's like, where are we? Are we September? It ends in June next year. Uh, transfer window. Yeah, yeah. New chief executive, uh, their figures for the, the the financial year to June last year they were out. Let me think. Last year they were out in October. So between now and uh, you know by October this year, call it, you know I I think there's scope for for change. Uh, so we'll we'll see what happens. Okay, David. Uh, th- thanks very much. It's certainly been more than just a wee bit interesting. So thanks very much again for your input, and we'll keep an eye on things. No problem. Good to speak. Bye. So maybe the upheaval continues. Uh, the wounds of last season perhaps not as ready to heal as Celtic fans would have hoped. And the worrying inspector of Peter Lowell still around. A share issue possibly in the works. A new CEO to identify and sign up. And maybe even questions about how well Edge Costa Coglu will be backed in the next couple of transfer windows. And not forgetting some serious questions still remaining over corporate governance. We've been the Scottish Football Monitor. Thanks uh, for joining us. Thanks to David Lowe uh, for giving us an insight. And we will see you soon.